Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello and welcome to Transplant's Take on Sport. My name's Lewis Daniels, and today I'm joined by Susie Wood, the first heart transplant recipient to feature on the podcast. Susie recently completed the London Marathon for the Freeman Heart and Lung Transplant Association, so you'll hear more about how she got her place, her training process, and stories about the day itself. Susie also tells me about her experience with a congenital heart defect, the effects that had on her ability to take part in sport and physical activity growing up, and her heart transplant story. I hope you find Susie's story inspiring and uplifting as she's come a long way since her childhood. If you're enjoying the podcast, please make sure you press subscribe or follow wherever you normally listen so you don't miss an episode. And if you'd like to follow the podcast on social media, all the links will be in the show notes. The first heart transplant recipient on the podcast, Susie Wood. Welcome to Transplant's Take on Sport. <laughs> Thank you very much. As I said there, you are a heart transplant recipient. You're also, you've been you've been running recently quite a big run. Uh, you ran the London Marathon recently, which we are going to come on to very, very shortly. But before that, just a quick one to say that this podcast is very, very likely to be coming back more regularly like it was before with the every two weeks schedule rather than every month. Uh, long story short, I'm back from uni uh, to defer. Uh, so hello again. Uh, Susie, it's, inter- it's tr- interesting this. You were unable to play sport before your transplant, Mm -hmm. which we will come on to later in the podcast, but you ran the London Marathon very recently. Is running something you've been into for a while since your transplant? So running is a whole new journey for me, really, Um, since transplant. um, It's something that um, I've been quite lucky that friends and family, my husband's a bit of a crazy avid runner. So occasionally, um, you know, he was very good actually early days after transplant and just encouraging me to do a little bit. Um, But as I know we're going to be sort of talking about later on, it was not something that was um, something I'd particularly done. Um, so, uh, so yeah, it is, it's all a bit, all a bit new. Uh, so my journey was quite gradual. Um, but, uh, certainly it's, uh, it's taken off quite recently. Um, and, uh, I never expected to do the London Marathon, but, um, luckily with everything that's happened recently, that's what's happened. So yeah, being able to do that. It's a great story that you've come from, as I said, we'll come on to later, no sport to doing something as challenging as this. What made you decide to take part in the London Marathon? Um, it was uh, obviously COVID times were, were tricky for all of us transplant 
recipients. And during that time, I needed to shield away from work. I work in a hospital, I work as an occupational therapist in a spinal injuries unit. Um, so I was having to shield. Um, I think I felt like a lot of things had been sort of outside of my control. Um, I knew that I couldn't control the virus. I couldn't control the fact that I needed to take immunosuppressants. For me, the only thing I could control was my fitness. Um, so I sort of made sure that I, you know, got lots of exercise and really upped the fitness. Um, and bizarrely, um, one day I was just as needed to contact clinic um, at the Freeman Hospital, couldn't find their email address anywhere. So I went onto the website for the Freeman Heart and Lung Transplant Association. Um, and this little notice popped up um, saying, does anybody fancy running the London Marathon for the charity? So um, a little bit spare of the moment, a little bit of COVID craziness, I responded and just um, put my name forward, never thinking that I would be successful with that. It's very difficult to get London Marathon places. I was really conscious of that. Um, and quite recently, um, so obviously I'd, I'd been able to do it. So uh, Louise contacted me and said, yeah, you know, we've given you the place. Um, so that was what happened. Um, and obviously after that, it's all systems go. Um, and we've really got to got to do the training, got to get fit. And my uh, running journey proper started at that point. Really. I think we've mentioned it when someone else has done the marathon on the podcast before. Mm -hmm. But the application process, it's a ballot, isn't it? It is. I mean, I was really fortunate because the charity already had the place. Um, it was just that I put my name forward for almost their ballot for the for the place. Um, but yes, generally for sort of anybody that wants to enter, it's a ballot. It's very difficult to get those places. They're a bit like gold dust. Um, but a lot of charities do have have places. Um, normally for the bigger charities, they do ask that you you um, raise quite a lot of uh, of money so um luckily when the, the freeman um because it's a much smaller charity they're very just grateful for the for the uh the sort of you know for promoting the charity and, and also for, for what we could raise so i was very fortunate from that point of view but i really wanted because of that to put everything into it and to give myself a, a target i gave myself a target of 500 pounds um and we've been really lucky i've got nearly nearly sort of 1800 now so wow. um we've done really well but i think people have been really interested really <laughs> you know dare i say a little bit inspired um that somebody um had been able to sort of run the, the london marathon after transplant and especially with, with a heart transplant um but i'm very much not on my own with this i do know quite a few heart transplant recipients who have done that and and they've done it a lot quicker than me so <laughs> i don't want to i don't want to be uh you know to be saying that it's not it's obviously not a common thing but it does happen and actually for me, it was going to the transplant games and hearing stories from people um, that I first heard of somebody who'd had a heart transplant and done the London Marathon. And at the time, all those years ago, I didn't really think anything of it. But I guess somewhere in my psyche, it must have must have just filtered down. Um, and it sort of became became something that I felt like I wanted to do. Um, if I was having to in increase my fitness for COVID, why not? combine it with raising money and um and uh, raising awareness and trying to do something special i definitely think you'll have inspired people whether they've had a transplant or not especially someone who's not coming from a transplant background or that perspective mm -hmm. seeing somebody like yourself who's been through everything you've been through up to this point you've had a heart transplant and still running the london marathon like you have done mm -hmm. is it really is inspirational 
how long were you in training for and what did it involve? Yeah, it was, um, as I say, it was very much a, a learning curve for me. My lovely husband has run quite a few marathons, very experienced, but he was very sensible in that this was my journey and he was very supportive in the background, but also didn't want to. It's a bit like your other half teaching to drive, isn't it? It's just not going to go well. <laughs> and we decided that that would probably cause more arguments than anything. So um, I did actually approach a running coach um, and he was really helpful. I sort of met with him once. Um, and then it was just a few sort of emails during the process just to keep me on track. And um, so that was helpful. Um, to begin with, because um, it, it was probably about a year that I ended up training for because of COVID. It was meant to be April this year that the, the marathon was run, but London Marathon decided October was better. It gave them a bit more time. Obviously, the vaccines were coming in as well. Um, so training kind of was, was running three times a week. Um, one of those was a gentle run, run with, uh, with a friend. I'm quite lucky that there's a, a little very, very relaxed group of, of lovely ladies who go for a run a couple of times a week locally to, to me. Um, so I normally did a, a gentle run with them, a longer run at the weekend with my, you know, I was just on my own, and then I tried to do a little bit of speed work as well. Um, so that was kind of the process. Um, I, I wrote a blog as well. Um, again, just trying to be accountable um, to the charity. I didn't want it to be that I'd got this amazing place and I sort of was off squirreling away somewhere doing my training and then suddenly at the end of it said, oh, I've done it. I wanted to share that. Um, so, uh, yeah, there were ups and downs. There were injuries. There was a lot of learning about energy gels and uh, learning about uh, getting my um my running style analysed and getting different shoes. So it was, a, it really was, I, I kind of took it as a bit of an adventure. I didn't know whether I could do it. I didn't know how it would work, but um, I was going to give it my all and give it a try. You mentioned the energy gels there. Mm -hmm. How did you keep yourself fueled throughout the run? And did you have to change your diet or adapt it in any way leading up to the marathon? Well, <laughs> one the wonderful thing about training for a marathon is that you can literally eat quite a lot. <laughs> so um, as somebody that's not normally have a massive appetite, I suddenly was like, oh, this is quite good. Um, but I suppose, you know, with all honesty, I did get a bit of advice. I read, there's a really good um, sort of runner's cookbook that I found from a lady called Anita Bean, um, who was actually one of the presenters at the London Marathon running show. Um, and so I sort of just took a little bit of advice. I didn't take I didn't take myself or the runs too seriously. I was just like, well, what's the best way of fueling? What are the foods that are going to be good for me and that are going to give me a bit of a boost? Um, and then I was kind of merrily thinking, oh, jelly beans, a few, you know, a few sweeties, it'll be fine. And then I went back to the running coach who was like, no, you need to take this seriously. You need some energy gels. <laughs> so I was like, oh, all right then. Um, and sort of found out that on the course of the London Marathon, they use um, Lucozade energy gels. So I thought, oh, I better invest in a few of those if that's what I'm going to be using on the big day. I need to need to know. Um, so, yeah, I just ordered a few of those and then tried running with them. Um, and they made a massive difference, actually. They were really good. Um, so I had, you know, just in, in my long, long run. So anything, anything under about sort of eight or nine miles, I didn't worry too much. I just had food beforehand a couple of hours beforehand as normal and then anything longer than about 10 miles I normally did 
uh, took some energy gels with me. Um, I'm very fortunate where we live. We kind of got some beautiful, beautiful tracks and trails and um, we sort of got a nice forest area nearby. So I was really lucky that I was sort of out there and uh, to sort of take my energy gels with me in a little backpack and, uh, and try them out as I went along with really. I may be wrong on this. I'm sure I've heard somewhere before that you can't listen to music on while you're actually doing the London Marathon. Yeah. But with you mentioned energy gels there. Can you just, as you're going round, can you eat I don't, like gels? But can you have like, um, say, cereal bars or energy bars of sorts? A lot of people sort of, I mean, there's obviously some very talented runners and the elites who take their own their own fuels and have their own regimes. Um, yeah, I think a lot of people, I certainly took a couple of like cereal bars to the start because I knew I would be in that pen to begin with for quite a while. Just just getting to the start line was about an hour. <laughs> I was sort of in a muddy field beforehand for an hour. Uh, so yeah, I did take a few bits and pieces. I took two or three of my own energy gels and then obviously there are ones on the course as well they're very good there's, there's water there's lucasade there's energy gels on the course um but there's also you run through some amazing residential areas of london and amazing the, the children are out on the streets with boxes of sweeties there's the you know there was a mr whippy ice cream van halfway around and i was so tempted <laughs> so tempted but I thought you know what if I sit down and have an ice cream I'll literally not finish this thing um but yeah I think it's it's you know such a lovely vibe and you know a lot of the people of London come out and celebrate with you and so yeah I think you could be as adventurous or not as you want really I think you know some people were stopping and having ice creams and doing all sorts of bits and pieces um for me I did take a few sweets and did some high fives with the kids which was fun um and the rest of the time was was very much just sticking to my plan uh, moving it through gradually and uh, and the energy gels did you see a lot of people in fancy dress yes yeah I mean <laughs> I suppose the um you know, really good, really good amateur runners are going to be completing that in about four hours. Um, I was listening to the podcast with Ryan Brett, uh, the amazing um, runner that he is and all the challenges that he's done. And I know he sort of said his, his marathon time pre-transplant was sort of under, under four hours, which is amazing. For me, uh, my time was sort of six and a half, um, which a lot of people would say, well, that's a really long time. Um, the the back of the race if you like the people who walk are about eight hours so I felt like I was nicely kind of nestled in between but because of the time I was doing it in I did see quite a lot of bare fancy dress runners there was, <laughs> uh, they were around me some went past me some stayed behind me um but yeah yeah there was quite a nice uh, nice array of fancy dress um so quite a few and again that's quite nice for support and for the kids there was a guy who had a, um, a really sort of big tiger suit in so all the, all the kids were like Mr Tiger Mr Tiger <laughs> um and then there was a, a couple of um firemen who were running with like a pretend fire engine around them so they were getting quite a lot of support and uh, there was Woody from Toy Story I saw him a few times so yeah it's nice it's you know I wasn't taking myself too seriously I was enjoying the day so yeah I saw quite a few few different people you remember those sort of things as, as a cricket fan mm-hmm. watching a lot of that the, it's great to see how people what people do with the costumes and how they that they, they just take on that role like watching cricket matches I've seen people uh, someone dresses the queen coming down with loads of pints oh, down no. the stairs and <laughs> ducks running round, nuns running yeah. round, all sorts. 
it's nice isn't it I think like you say those are the things that stick in your mind aren't they and, uh, and there's always a novel costume out there somewhere isn't there that somebody's found having done the London Marathon would you ever do it again um it's a really strange this than this one actually because I think people always say you say never again and then until the day after and then you're like oh gotta do that again but in some ways I don't know whether I would and that is because I had such an amazing day it was fabulous the the weather largely was pretty good the crowds were amazing I had a fantastic time um it was very emotional for me I was really kind of just so amazed at my body to get around that um so in some ways I don't think it would ever be as good again so I think possibly not but then don't you know don't hold me to it you never know (laughs) (laughs) well on that topic we've got some listener questions and one Mm -hmm. of those is on a a similar line to that if you'd like to send in any questions you can do so by following uh, transport take on sport on social media and before the day before or the morning before a podcast I will put a post on all of those saying who's coming on, what the transplant is, what the sport is, maybe something notable they've done. And you can ask your questions away, whether it be in the comments, DMs, the, the little question box on Instagram. And uh, you, you mentioned Ryan. Uh, Ryan sent in a, a couple of questions for you. Oh, First one, he says, um, uh, did you cry on the home straight? Uh, yes. <laughs> I was up, so I was doing fine. Um, was you know running quite nicely along. You kind of head up the river along to Westminster, and then you sort of turn a corner. Um, and my lovely hubby, who knows the marathon course inside out and backwards, because he's done it a couple of times, so he he met me at various points, and I'd sort of seen him, and I was absolutely fine. And then I kind of like he went off to try and meet me at the finish, and I thought suddenly I was kind of going round the corner. Buckingham Palace was there in front of me, and I just had this wave of emotion. I was like, oh my goodness. I've done it (laughs) and it kind of was like a real shock um so yeah there was there was definitely some tears and then I sort of come back down again and then you realize you can eat for England and have a nice drink so that was what we did later on but um yeah I definitely had a big wave of emotion was it sort of a realization of what you've achieved considering what you've been through I think that I think yeah I think that's true I mean I um uh, as a child I know we're going to sort of talk about at some point um I had quite a lot of um cardiac surgery so heart surgery in London um, as a child um, so my relationship with London from a young age was probably quite tainted um, I never looked forward to going to London because of you know it normally equated to having some surgery um, so that was kind of you know it was in the back of my head and as I popped in my blog I think London and I had some unfinished business <laughs> So I think um, that was in my head. And I, in some ways, I felt like I'd conquered some of those demons when I yeah, crossed that, that finish line. So, yeah, there's also, I mean, it, it's quite funny. I, was, I work, um, work at a hospital myself and uh, treat, treat patients. And I was laughing with my patients the other day and saying, I think after running around Gisborough with cows and sheep for two years, uh, the fact that I was just running through London and there were all sorts of skyscrapers and uh, the London <laughs> Eye and the, <laughs> and the Thames, it was just nice to see something different, Louis, it really was. So, um, so yeah, you, you have those moments and you think, oh, you know, I had that long 20-mile run and it was literally just me and it was raining and there was cows and that was it. And suddenly here I am in London. So, yeah, you, you kind of carry all those experiences with you, don't you? I completely get what you mean about associating London with with all the everything that's gone with the surgeries, mm. I'm still sort of getting over now and trying to come to terms with the fact that 
because of the age I was at when my kidneys failed and I was diagnosed with kidney disease, mm. I was at university. So I associate university and studying a degree mm. with illness. Yeah. So yeah. going back to that, it was a, that was a barrier to get over and try and think, no, I'm, 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 I'm not cured, but mm-hmm. I'm in a better place now. I'm stable. Yeah. There's yeah. no relationship between the two other than the sort of coincidence. That's what happened. Yeah. And that's it, isn't it? You, you know, you're, <laughs> logically, I'm like, well, you know, London's a fantastic place. You know, I've been to the theatre, I've been to lovely museums. It's a nice place to be. But I think your emotion's still there, isn't it? And as a really good friend of mine used to say, I think after transplant, emotions are never far from the surface. So, you know, for, for you, logically, you know, you're safe at university, you know, you're doing good, you know, good job and you're kind of working towards your degree. But I guess there's probably some deep down emotion that's like, oh, hang on a minute, is this a safe place yes. for me to be? So, yeah, I get that. Before we go on to Ryan's second question, just a quick, there was another transplant recipient who was at the London Marathon, friend of the podcast, previous guest, Reese Owen, congratulations, you also completed it. Mm-hmm. So well done you, two transplant recipients completing it. I'm sure mm-hmm. there were many more there as well. Oh, that's fantastic. Well done, well done, well done to Reese. yeah. And Ryan's second question is, uh, what's the next event that you've signed up to, if there is one? <laughs> Ryan's naughty because Ryan's very good at doing all these different challenges and I know he would always have a challenge booked for himself. Um, I haven't, to be honest, I haven't got anything. I was never a person who had lots of challenges lined up for myself. Um, I think things have, probably throughout my life, things have cropped up at a good time and I've grab the opportunity when I have um, and that's probably true of um, I've done Hadrian's Wall I've done some trekking in Iceland and it's very much been it's been things I've wanted to do but they've kind of suddenly suddenly come into focus and there's been a reason to do them so I guess the next challenge will be the one that pops up and I can't resist <laughs> <laughs> I mentioned this at the start um, before your transplant you were unable to compete in sports yeah we're gonna we'll probably talk more about why that was mm-hmm. when we come on to your, your transplant and your heart condition but being unable to complete to compete did that impact you socially as well as physically what, um, what sort of effect did it have on you yeah I think um I think it was harder as a child because you know it's like when you you know at school a certain sections of your timetable are PE lessons or you know whatever it is gym or hockey or whatever um and I was kind of literally always on the sidelines um so yeah I'm quite an optimistic person I'm quite per, quite cheery and probably to an outsider I would have looked like I was absolutely fine cheering people on and, and sitting there or, you know, watching. Um, I think deep down, all children just want to be do- the same as everyone else, don't they, really? Um, so I think I probably did find that quite difficult. Um, and it probably wasn't until maybe sort of, you know, GCSE, maybe sixth form time. I was thinking about this actually just before the podcast. So I was thinking, oh, you don't often ponder, do you, on your, your childhood and what you did or didn't do. And I was thinking about it and I was thinking, um, I think it was kind of into sixth form that there were some sort of aerobics classes that 
were happening. Um, and because it wasn't a team sport and it was something I could dip in and out of, I did that for a little while. And actually, that was really nice because I could kind of, you know, I could do do the class and kind of maybe have a breather halfway through. Or if there was a particular bit where I was getting tired, I could sit down. And we had a, you know, a really good aerobics instructor that knew me and knew, you know, what the issues were. So I could gradually build up my fitness doing a little bit, but then sort of sitting back a little bit as well. Um, I was also kind of, I mean, I was into to horse riding. I quite enjoyed horse riding. And again, um, horse riding can be incredibly physical for really good riders. But for me, um, I was able to do a little bit, even if it was just 20 minutes, half an hour, without it being quite as tiring. Um, and that was something I kind of enjoyed as a child. But I would say there was a lot socially that I probably did miss out on. Um, I can remember like going to sort of, you know how they used to put like lists up of who's made the team for like hockey yeah. or tennis or whatever and I can remember like staring at this list going oh I wonder if I'm going to be on this week and realize you know not realizing as a child that oh you wouldn't be I've been hella beating on the list because really <laughs> you're not going to be able to last the full match um so yeah there's there's things like that aren't there and then a lot of the I suppose a lot of the social chit chat at school can be about oh well you know that team won or this team won so that yeah there were elements um that that you know I probably did miss out on to be fair I was probably quite quite a quiet child and probably I loved my reading and like artwork and drawing so I kind of probably just naturally absorbed myself into that side of things um and it wasn't really until I probably left school went to university and there were probably a few more options and I, again sort of like exercise classes that I could dip in and out of because that's not 90 minutes on a pitch is it it's kind of or you know or, or I was and I was playing tennis it's kind of you can dip in and out a little bit so that worked quite well um and, and I always kind of quite enjoyed walking we normally had you know had dogs when I was little so you know gentle exercise I've always enjoyed I love being outside absolutely love being outside um but it was hard as a child because I think you know walking in the wind was really difficult I used to get really cold so again your options are a bit more limited so I think socially yes it probably did um but it's probably I think like everyone who, who's had a transplant you, sometimes you don't realize how poor you've been until you've had your transplant and you think oh actually yes I do did miss out on that um but at the time it's just normal isn't it I definitely get that not realizing how ill you are until until afterwards those mm. little bits that you could do the walking horse riding exercise classes how important were they considering the ones that, that considering that you were limited in other ways yeah I think they were and I think it's a little bit of that pride as well isn't it that you don't you know you want to feel like you can include yourself in some things um and and certainly you know as I said I love being outside so I think anything that's that gets me out and about I've really sort of really enjoyed I love being in nature I love you know we're really lucky where we live there's the sort of forests and up to the north north Yorkshire moors which is it's lovely it's nice to be out you know no, no matter the weather it is really nice to be out but it was just more difficult before did you want to take part in the more physical, more demanding sports when you were growing up? Um, I think probably, I think I was very realistic yeah. in that I knew what I was able to do um, and kind of, I, I knew there was a reason why I couldn't. So it kind of wasn't, it wasn't about what I wanted necessarily. It was like, well, I know I can't do it. So 
why don't I focus on something a bit different? Um, which, to be fair, is probably something that I've carried right away through life that, you know, if there is something that I can't achieve, I'll look at it a different way. Um, and I think, you know, transplant recipients are so resilient, aren't we, really? Um, so, yeah, there, there probably would be times when I'm like, oh, I would have quite liked to have done that. Um, I'm not massively competitive, but I think um, it, there is that element of trying to challenge yourself um, which obviously, you know, running is, is good for that, isn't it? We've been talking now for a while and people may be wondering, why is it that you, you weren't able to do more demanding things? Are you were From the information you've sent me, you were born mm-hmm. with a congenital heart defect. Yeah. Do you want to tell us a bit more about that and how it affected you growing up, why you weren't able to take part in more physical sports? Definitely, yeah. So um, and there are you know, a lot of children and people who are sort of growing up and adults now as well who have um, congenital heart conditions and they range in severity and they, you know, range in type as well. Um, but mine, um, the, the left ventricle, so that tends to be the, the bit that pumps the oxygenated blood um, out um, into your body that bit um, wasn't working, um, was was kind of a, a different shape. It wasn't quite how it should be. Um, so really my oxygen saturation was quite low. It was very blue. Um, I was very cold quite a lot of the time. Um, and I, yeah, I really sort of struggled with, with um, it was with just either getting out of breath or just having the, the energy. My fatigue levels were huge. Um, even sort of eating and drinking, you know what it's like when you've, when you've got a really bad cold and you're trying mm. to eat something it's hard work isn't it because you can't breathe and eat at the same time and it's hard work and that was kind of what it was like it was very hard everyday tasks were just really hard um uh, you know from ranging from just getting up a flight of stairs to you know walking down the road to the shops to you know uh, being out in the wind the wind was an absolute killer trying to breathe against a heavy wind um was really really hard and i think you know, that's something now, again, you know, we had a bit of a windy section when I was doing the marathon and, you know, I can breeze through that now. That's not a problem at all. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, it, it was, it was a difficult time. Being born with, with something wrong with your heart, mm-hmm. was there a certain point that you remember where your parents told you you were unwell or a doctor told you you were unwell? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you remember, don't you, various sort of snippets and conversations. And I think because um, because I didn't know any different, you, you know, you kind of that. Well, that's my body. That's how it is. That's what we do. Um, but I had surgery at, at sort of age of about two, and then again at the age of about eight, um, and again at about eleven. Um, and one of the particular types of surgery kind of didn't go as well as they expected. Um, and they, I think the doctors were quite hopeful that that would help to some extent and be able to sort of make me a little bit pinker, a bit warmer. Um, and I think as a child, you're just very sensitive. You pick up on signals and signs on people's faces. And I think it probably didn't go quite as well as they'd imagined. And I was kind of aware of people being a bit like, hmm, something's different there. Um, so, uh, you know, you kind of... You remember some of those conversations, don't you? And and there was one particular consultant who said to to my family and myself, um, the only thing that will make a real difference in your life at some point is a heart transplant. Um, and at the time, we were just horrified and like shocked and like, well, no, there must be some you know different surgery that can help, or you know that just seemed like a real you know something very drastic. 
um and you know i think that absolutely was right um it's just that you know that, that didn't happen for another well probably 10 or 15 years in my life but yeah i do, do remember you know one of the doctors saying that it's a lot to take on and with this this question only, only say as much as you're comfortable mm -hmm. sharing there were surgeries were they attempts to avoid heart failure in a transplant um do you know what i probably um, and my mum and dad will probably be like screaming at the podcast going, wow, you should know this. Um, <laughs> I, to be fair, <laughs> I, know, I know that the surgeries were to try and improve the heart function, um, which obviously would then, you know, prolongs your life and then makes, you know, your, your, your outcome in, in life, your sort of functional outcome better. Um, but equally, I think, um, I think heart surgery has come on leaps and bounds now. And I think probably what children go through now and the options that are available and the knowledge um, is probably a lot more improved, whereas probably at the time, that was the option that was available. Um, and I think, you know, it, it's kind of, it was that or, or nothing else, really. I don't think there was, you know, that, that was the best that was able to be offered at the time. And I will always be so grateful for that. Um, you know, it's a, it's a, an amazing thing that, you know, we happen to live in a, you know, society where that could happen. And we were kind of quite close to London where we were living. Um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I, um, as a child, it was terrifying and it was horrible and I didn't want to do it. Um, but as an adult, I can see, you know, actually, if I hadn't have had that surgery at the time, it wouldn't probably have got me to the point where I was able to to move forward and have my transplant so yeah it's a, it's a bit of a mixed bag so you knew you needed a transplant for for quite a while before you actually had it but uh, what well no it was a do you know what it was a throwaway comment by a consultant that shocked us all at the time right but then it was never mentioned again um and i just carried on and lived my life i mean that was probably at the age of I would say maybe 10 or 11 wow. and then I didn't have my transplant till I was 27 so it was kind of it was a throwaway comment that kind of landed in my brain and I was a bit like oh strange um but I kind of you know got on with my life did what I needed to do you know I sort of finished school went to university started work um I always struggled with a few things but managed to do everything you know that I needed to do day to day to to do all of those things um but um but yeah that you know it was uh, you just kind of carry on with with how you are if you're looking for plump lips that last you need to know about juvederm lip fillers with juvederm volbella xc and juvederm ultra xc your lip look whether it's subtle or bold can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Um, and the transplant circumstances were a lot more dramatic to, <laughs> than that um, and actually just cropped up completely out of the blue never you know it's never a conversation anyone expects to to be talking about transplantation um, as you you know um, but yeah so that was very much out of the blue. It's a Big throwaway comment for a 10-year-old to hear that you need a transplant yeah. one day. <laughs> it was a bit like, well, <laughs> and you know, and you're like, oh, right, okay. But I suppose that's possibly how things were. I mean, this is sort of back in the back in the sort of 80s, that, you know, I think possibly, I think children are a bit more involved in decisions now, aren't they? And I think, you know, possibly then it was, it was maybe a little bit different. You mentioned there the actual reality of the transplant happening and, and you really needing it. Yeah. Do you want to tell tell us a bit more about that and the story yeah, behind it? Yeah, of course. So, so I suppose sort of you know recap. I had some surgery as a child. Some of that really successful. Some of it not so successful. But I kind of carried on regardless. Sort of went to went to university and started work as, as an occupational therapist, which I love. Um, and then met my a lovely um, other half, and we just got engaged. Actually, we've been in New York. Just got engaged. Um, came back, um, and I went to work one day. Um, I think from what my friends remember, I think I might have had a slight cold or something, but nothing major, um, and collapsed in the um, in the atrium of the, the hospital where I work. So I was resuscitated at work, um, looked after brilliantly by some of my colleagues, um, and taken to ITU in the hospital that I work. Um, and um, yeah, I was uh, very, very poorly for a while. Um, they believe it was um, like a, something called an arrhythmia. So the heart had just gone into a really strange rhythm um, and uh, I sort of needed to be sedated uh, for quite a while. So I was, was in hospital for a good few months. Um, and the Freeman Hospital, um, where I'd been having my checkups for my congenital heart issues, um, I'd kind of sort of said to to the other hospital look just get Susie nice and stable and then transfer across to us and we'll look at what the options are 
um but yeah uh, but yeah my four poor family and um and mark my hubby um and actually to a large extent my colleagues really went through it um it was a, quite a dramatic time in a way were you in the best place for that to happen mm-hmm 100 <laughs> percent um i think i sort of i think when I, when i was answering ryan's question about kind of the fact that i kind of just kind of timing and sort of things crop up and I think yeah that's that's the, the thing I want to do um yes timing throughout my life actually I have been super super fortunate with timing for things um you're absolutely right if I'd have been I mean it would have been horrendous to think if I'd have been in the car and somebody else had been injured because I passed out in the car or you know if I'd have been at home um you know we we 100% wouldn't be having the conversation um the fact that I was at work the fact that there was a crash team on site the fact that they were able to get to me really quickly and get me upstairs to the ITU quite quickly um was was fantastic it's a remarkable story and I think people people will be inspired by what's what you've done since then considering mm-hmm. that being the lowest point you could you could be at yeah and then yeah. from there came the heart transplant what happens in the build-up to that yeah so I mean I was sort of out of it and sedated for quite a long time a couple of months probably um uh, gradually brought round to um, be sort of aware of what's happened um, and trying to just get my head around the fact that this has happened but I remember absolutely nothing about it. It, it was very strange um, but I think it's a, the body's very natural protection is that you don't remember and, and to this day there were a lot of it I don't remember but I really don't want to. <laughs> um, I think I think if those memories came back, they wouldn't be the best ones. Um, but I also have some, you know, fantastically fun memories, really, because um, my fantastic colleagues, uh, OTs and physios at James Cook Hospital, um, really rallied around. And as I was recovering, you know, they were they were making up silly stories about you know our OT and physio managers and telling me all sorts of ridiculous things and <laughs> making me giggle. And and Mark would kind of like come out with some strange comments to make me giggle as well and um yeah they were just just brilliant and, and very much kind of rallied around um and then eventually i was transferred to the freeman hospital um and uh you know they, they were sort of uh, looking at decisions for for whether um whether i would be suitable for, for a transplant and um, that was the, the main thing um the other option wasn't great um the, the other option was probably to uh, to stay in hospital or be transferred with um like a special sort of device that I, my friends and family would be have to sort of shock my heart into a different rhythm if, if you know if that if the worst happened um and i felt really strongly about that it's really unfair for, for family members to be in that position um so you know we sort of came to that conclusion and we talked about transplantation and i went forward for assessment for that um, and you'll know as well as me that you're in a kind of funny predicament where you have to be ill enough to need a transplant but well enough to accept it yeah. so <laughs> it's a really odd one isn't it um, but uh, but luckily you know I was accepted onto the onto the transplant list um, again it's never a conversation you want or expect to have it's a difficult conversation um, and I um, um Again, this timing thing. Um, I was only on the, the transplant list for two weeks. Wow. Um, and uh, then the call came. So, uh, 
So yeah, it's uh, again, just a case of being in the right place at the right time. Um, and I'm really, really conscious that, you know, so many people are on that transplant list for years and years and people, you know, a lot of people unfortunately passed away on the transplant list as well. So there's a, you know, that is always in my mind. Um, but I was incredibly fortunate. Did everything go as planned with the transplant? Um, it did pretty much, yeah. Yeah, and bizarrely, I kind of... I think um, probably with everything that I've been through, um, I do have a bit of a quite a dark sense of humour and I remember sort of saying to myself, oh, for goodness sake, you know, just bring it on. I can't be any worse than this. <laughs> um, so, uh, so I kind of went down for my, my transplant and, uh, and kind of haven't really, I've had a few bumps in the road, but I haven't really looked back. I remember waking up, I remember it being a nice sunny morning, I could see the clock. And I was thinking, oh, okay, so I got through that one then. That's good. Um, and it's uh, just sort of gradually, gradually recovered. I've had a few, few issues and niggles relating to um, medication, which I think all of us do. You know, the medication is so important to keep us going, but it, it doesn't come, you know, it, it comes with its own issues, doesn't it? So, you know, side effects and things like that. So, yeah, I've had a few, few bumps in the road after that, but largely um have just been really well um and it's been a kind of steady improvement um you know i haven't sort of gone from transplantation straight into marathon running it's been a, a 17 year journey really just sort of building up gradually and doing a little bit more each each year i mean i was listening to uh, i can't remember one of your other podcasts and somebody was saying they tried to do something significant each year after transplant to sort of like mark that year and I, I remember talking to somebody else who, who does that um I haven't necessarily done that but I've always had some kind of goal that I've thought oh what I'd like to do next is this um and again not pushing for it not kind of putting it in the diary but just having it in my mind thinking you know that might be the thing to do next um which i think you know, is good for all of us isn't it definitely good to be motivated and have targets to aim for mm -hmm. before we come on to more targets and mm -hmm. um, i think people will be curious to know and i know this is the the answer to this is different for everyone it depends on how your transplant's gone where you are your, your condition the stability of it how long did you spend in hospital after your heart transplant um, I think I would, I would say probably maybe a couple of, but probably about three, maybe three weeks a month, something like that. It wasn't that long, but it was. There were a couple of. Um, I remember I had to go. I had to go back to to theatre just for a little bit of deep stitching. Then there was a um, an issue where they where they put the um, the bypass the, um, tubes in, so I had to do a little bit of surgery just to just to kind of sew that back up. Um, but no, I was pretty much back and, um, and I just remember it kind of just being so strange, so surreal. Um, I was really overwhelmed with the emotion of it all, just kind of trying to get my head around it. You know, you kind of, you go to work quite happily and then you kind of, you know, actually not that long before a transplant and then suddenly back home again. So there's emotionally, there's a lot to kind of head round isn't there definitely a lot there's a lot to take in and mm. the the adjustment to life after transplant with the medication that like you said Mm. It's, it's it's definitely a change of lifestyle yeah yeah it is isn't it I, I remember um somebody sort of saying to me that you know transplant's not a cure it's a different set of circumstances yeah um and I think at the time I was a bit kind of like oh I thought it was a cure but um but I can really see what that 
is about now and you know I, I always feel like it's almost like a, a seesaw or a tightrope that we're on that you kind of have to negotiate between the sort of infection and, and rejection it's that sort of seesaw isn't it that you kind of you know you have to have, be sort of conscious of you know, the medication has to allow you to ward off some infection but also not allow you to to get into rejection so yeah it's, it's always always something to consider and and the freeman have both been brilliant and sort of guided me through various different different stages it's like having another job isn't it it is absolutely i can remember very clearly thinking that when i, I sort of went, went well went back to work and uh, bizarrely just thought oh, i'll be some kind of supercharged version of myself before um and suddenly you realize that you know you need your, your blood's taken quite regularly you've got appointments you need to have you know there's a lot isn't there and uh, and it is it's you know it's like a job in itself sometimes so i work i work three days a week now which is lovely um because it feels like i don't have to take holidays for for hospital appointments i can fit that around and nobody needs to know and you know i think that as i sort of said to you when i was sort of chatting earlier on i never lead with the transplant thing i'm always kind of get to know people just to get them get to know them and you know there'll be some colleagues who probably wouldn't have known i'd had a transplant and some colleagues that do um, COVID's changed that a little bit because obviously when you're off shielding people suddenly wonder why yeah. um, but I always quite like the fact of you know it's quite nice for the marathon you kind of think you turn up you do your race and you kind of think nobody necessarily needs to know that I've had a transplant it's kind of my little bit my secret um, and, and the people that I choose to share that with I do um, and obviously if people want to know about my transplant I'm really really happy to talk about um, and there are times when it's important and really nice you know like this to sort of share your story and and kind of promote that you know transplantation absolutely changes lives um, and there are other times where you kind of just want to get on with your life and get on with your job uh, and both of those things are fine I think it's, it's you know everyone deals with things differently. In terms of your recovery from transplant how did you go about building your fitness up again and did you set yourself any specific targets of where you wanted to be in a certain time or something you wanted um, to do? I didn't and I think this is the difference between people who've been quite well prior to transplant um, and people who haven't because um, the whole notion of kind of competitive sport and being fit and active, it was a new thing for me. It was a really new yeah. thing. So I didn't necessarily set any targets, but I can remember um, in the very early days just getting home from transplant and I thought, right, I need to do something cognitive every day and something physical every day and I was like whether it's like a crossword for the cognitive or I want to you know do some painting or learn a language or whatever um and the physical things were like right we'll go for a walk we'll you know try some more steps we'll try another hill we'll try something um and my husband Mark's been brilliant for that because he's uh, a bit of an active freak anyway so um <laughs> I'm never going to keep up with him and I've, I've kind of give up, given up trying but um <laughs> he has you know he's very super supportive to like right we're going to go for a walk or we're going to go to the beach and um whereas i know you know talking to other transplant recipients if if their family members are really concerned about that and kind of very protective it's lovely to have that protection but you also need someone to go oh come on we're going for a walk in the rain um and mark's very much that person um so yeah i think you kind of you've got to learn to adapt to your new body as well haven't you you know I almost wanted to test it out it's like how's it going to work what's it going to do am I going to be able to walk in the wind you know can I do a flight of stairs and feel fine 
Um, so yeah, I just sort of built up very gradually from there. Um, the transplant games were really important for that. Um, I went to observe the transplant games the year afterwards and then two years afterwards I went to the European Heart and Lung Transplant Games in um, Naples, I think it was. Um, so that was a, a big adventure. But again, um, it wasn't something I forced myself into. I didn't say, oh, I'm going to have to do it. It kind of came along and I talked to somebody and felt it felt right. So uh, I did that um, and I, I sort of did a few transplant games. And that was, in some ways, the best part about that is just talking to other transplant recipients. Um, you know, I, I, I always say to people, don't worry about taking part. If you're just going to go and observe, that's fine. That's great because it's just being there. Um, and there are times in clinic when I find the conversations I have with other transplant recipients can be quite negative. Um, yeah. Sometimes it's kind of about medication or, you know, this has happened, that's happened. And, um, you know, I'm quite a supportive person. I'm quite happy to listen a little bit. But what I loved about the games is that everyone's talking, you, you get the kind of transplant conversation, don't you? Like, what type of transplant have you had? How long have you had it? Have you had any problems? And then we were on to what medals have you won? Where have you been? <laughs> what events are you taking part in? And it was such a different conversation. And I was like, oh, this is quite good. You know, I quite like this. Um, so that was good. And that was where I came across heart and lung transplant recipients who'd done the London Marathon, who'd done an Ironman, who'd done um, triathlons. And, and, you know, at the time you just chat, chat away, don't you? But I think those sort of things just filtered into my brain and I was like, oh, okay, that's interesting. Um, not that I did anything about it for another, you know, another nine or ten years, but it was, uh, yeah, it was interesting. Well, Speaking of the games, we've, we've had we've had the conversation. We don't we know what transplant you've had. Uh, mm -hmm. What medals have you won? <laughs> oh, um, again, because it's quite a while ago. I'm trying to think. Um, I I think I've won a, a silver and a bronze. I think, um, and I think that was in France, um, and a bronze I think in Naples as well. Um, and the the heart and lung transplant games are very friendly. Um, they're probably not as strongly competitive as the British and World Games. Um, because I think for for heart and lung transplant recipients, and I can only speak for myself, um, other people might not agree with this, but um, I felt quite daunted racing against maybe somebody with a liver or kidney transplant because, you know, we, we're kind of in different circumstances. And I think your cardiovascular system is such a, a huge part of, of what you need when you're doing sport that I think, you know, it, it just felt nice to go to the, the heart and lung transplant games and kind of compete against people who were quite similar. Um, so, yeah, yeah, a couple of medals in those. And, uh, um, but then the camaraderie is definitely much more important than the medals, I would say. Definitely, yeah, completely. I mean, I've not been to the Transmac Games yet, as regular listeners will know. Um, hopefully next year. But yeah, it's so important. With whatever team you're in or whichever competition you're at, I can sense without being there that that is huge. Yeah, yeah, I think it is, isn't it? And and also I think it's good for family members um, to, to go along as well. And certainly when you see the children going to the transplant games and their, you know, their family members are there, they're just so proud of, you know, of everything that they achieve. And it's it's a lovely sort of warm, uh, sort of supportive environment. What events did you take part in at the games or have you done over the years? I think it was probably something like it was a 5k walk, isn't there? I'm sure I did the walk one year. Um, and I think I did a shorter run. So whether it was maybe 200 meters or something. Um, and looking back at the time, I was 
full of steroids. I was a lot larger than I am now. It was really hard. But at the same time, you know, I was there, I was doing it and um, and it was trying, trying something new, doing something different. It's something I would never have been able to do before. Um, and I sort of realise now how far I've come on again. Um, but I really enjoyed it. And I think, you know, it's a, it was a stepping stone to becoming a bit fitter after that. You said that you went as a spectator first and then you went on to compete. By going just to watch first, how much did that impact you and encourage you to maybe, uh, I don't know what level of fitness you were at when you went, but to get fitter or to, to push you to do the, be the best you can be and be yeah, I think so it, definitely, it definitely did. I mean, it, it took the pressure off, which was the main thing. Um, so there was no pressure to compete. It was just looking, you know, just being an observer and having a look around and seeing um, seeing people. And, and you're right, you kind of start seeing people doing you know, these amazing events. Um, and it does, it just kind of starts that little fire, doesn't it? And you think, oh, I wonder if I could do that or maybe I could train and do that or, um, you know, which event would I fancy, would I be able to do you know, um, and there's so many different events as well. That's a nice thing. There's sort of archery, swimming, um, golf, I think, is one of them as well. So it, it feels like there's something for everybody. Um, and I think it was sort of the running and walking that felt more comfortable for me. Um, so, yeah, it did, it, it did kind of give me that nudge to take it to another level. So at the start, you're the first heart transplant recipient on the podcast. In terms of exercise with a heart transplant, is there anything you have to be careful of or do you, do you still have to hold yourself back in any way? I don't know if it's any different to other transplants. Yeah. Um, it's a really tricky one, isn't it? And I, you know, I'm always conscious of seeing people giving advice to others. Yeah. Um, and I think that, that I, it's probably not a question that I can answer. I know for myself, um, my team at the Freeman have always kind of said, you know, keeping yourself fit and active and in good shape and not putting too much weight on is really important. So for me personally, that, that's the guidance I take. Um, my consultant was super supportive when I said I was doing the London Marathon and wants to see my medal when I go in a couple of weeks' time. Um, <laughs> so, um, but I would definitely say, you know, for everybody, speak to your consultant first because um, everyone's different and everyone's got a different background as well. Um, uh, certainly for the for the transplant games, you do have to get a consent form um, that you sign, and also your consultant has to sign that sign that as well. So um, that's kind of that covered really. So they, they have to be. But yeah, just talk to you. I mean, set, talk to your consultant if you if you're wanting to sort of up the the exercise because normally you know keeping fit is important. Um, but everyone's at a different a different stage of the journey, aren't they? Well said. I completely agree. Everyone is different, and yeah. It, we can we can talk from our own experiences, say what we've done, but mm-hmm. that we we're not medical experts in or transplant experts. We we've lived with it. We we can't exactly give advice to other people. We can only talk about our experiences. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think probably the the one bit of advice I would ever would would give people would be exactly that. Please don't compare yourself to other people because your journey is your journey, and it's special because of that. Um, and I, th- I do sort of see people sometimes comparing, you know, what medications people are on or what they've done at different times and stages. And I think, well, actually, everyone's journey is just unique. So try as much as you can. I mean, it's lovely to listen to stories, to be inspired, to, to wonder. And I certainly listened to stories, but I, I knew that somebody else's story wasn't mine. You've done, you've done quite a lot since you transplanted. 
sporting wise, you've mm-hmm. as you've said you've been trekking in Iceland, you've walked Hadrian's Wall. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna big you up here. You've also done five Great North runs and the <laughs> Edinburgh Relay Marathon. Yeah. Is there anything that you regularly take part in at the moment? Um, I think I mean I stumbled across. It was funny. I was hey, I took the dog out for a walk and came across these uh, ladies running around Gisborough where I live. Um, and I just stopped them and I said, "Oh, can I just ask? Are you part of a running group? How does this work?" Blah blah. Um, and there's a lovely lady who sort of said to me, "Oh, you know, have a look for me on Facebook. This is what we're called." Um, and if you want to come along, come along. Um, and it's the loveliest group, and we're all different shapes and sizes, and everyone's got a different ability. There's some really good runners in there. Some of them are ultra marathon runners. They're amazing. There are people who maybe do an occasional park run, um, and there are people who've maybe come back from injury and, and really struggle. But we kind of leave no one behind, and we're part of a you know a lovely supportive group. Um, so that runs normally a couple of times a week right through right through the year. Um, so I always try and get to one or two of those. Um, I've got a crazy Labrador who um, keeps me fit. <laughs> um, he's slowing down a little bit. He's actually under the desk at the moment while I'm chatting. Um, so I think actually, you know, joking aside, having the dog has been really good because you are out of every day um, in all weathers. Um, and I quite enjoy some exercise classes I quite like my sort of Pilates and yoga that sort of thing as well so I don't have a routine necessarily I go with how I feel on the day how I feel with the week um work can be quite challenging can be quite tiring yeah. um so it just depends on depends on the on the, the schedule but I do try and make sure I'm outside a good sort of you know four or five times a week because I think just being outside I know for me for my mental health it really does give me that that big you know boost Absolutely, and that side as well, mentally, is is so important in the lives the lives that we now live. Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely, and I think sort of since COVID as well. I think you know, I know um, I was listening to Lynn Holt's interview, and she was sort of talking about the importance of just being active, and it doesn't necessarily matter what it is, does it? But being active um, really does help with our mental health. You've done an awful lot, and just over the years, and your story is inspirational. I think people will really be. Well, I've got to say it again, it's inspired by by everything that you've done, where you've come from, from not mm. really being able to do much physically to then building back up again after your transplant. And again, once again, congratulations on running the London Marathon. Oh, thank you. And it's probably just worth mentioning as well. Um, I mean, the, the charity, the FHLTA, um, had um, a couple of uh, virtual marathon places as well. So we actually had three of us running. So two of my uh, sort of my colleagues if you like uh, Louise and Paul did the the virtual London marathon so it was quite nice when I was going around the London streets I knew that they were doing their virtual run, London marathons as well so and I know that was running and walking for them um but they they both did amazingly um and again they're both part transplant recipients I understand um we haven't met we've just been messaging um but uh, but yeah so for people out there there were other options there were virtual races and that's another option out of everything you've done over the years, what would you say is your greatest sport and achievement? Um, I think they're all different in different ways, but I think I I was never a person who set out to run a marathon. That was never a, a, that was never a goal. It was never a plan. It was never anything I aspired to. Um, I think COVID made me think. Do you know what? 
if you know it's such a dangerous world out there the fitter i can be the better it is so that gave me a huge jolt to to think seriously and think you know what if i can get really fit um that would be really important um so i think the combination of just the timing of needing to be as fit as i could be the marathon plays coming up um suddenly throwing me into the world of marathon running which uh still feels bizarre talking about it i'm like what me really um so i think that probably at the moment that is my uh, yeah the thing i'm probably most proud of um but all of them have, have had have been different challenges and actually i suppose as well i'm probably very proud of my pre-transplant self because i know now how hard that was so there's a bit of a, a bit of pat on the back for getting through that bit as well i'm glad you said that because i asked this question to i think most people who come on and mm-hmm. you, when you're listening you'd expect it to be the the gold medal or the Mm-hmm. The, the the highest honor if you like in terms of you completing the marathon but mm-hmm. it's nice when like you've said there there's what you've done pre-transplant or when people may say their first bronze because it's that the 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 first one the first memory that, that kickstarts you for for going on for other things and mm-hmm. sort of gets you hooked on it yeah yeah i think that's it isn't it yeah i think that it's true and everyone's different but yeah it's it's, it's uh i think things come along at the right time don't they and, and it's important to kind of embrace those while they're there absolutely susie it's been a pleasure to talk to you today i'm definitely feeling i'm uplifted inspired i am inspired by this because we were saying i don't want to go too much into it off before we started um saying how sort of i've, I've I was at university. I've now had to defer again. It take this. There's a lot to to go through. I don't want to be all poor me, poor me. But um, it's it's. I feel better after doing this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Talking to somebody with a different transplant, been through completely different experience to me. It sounds and we're all different. It sounds very very challenging. Everything you've been through from mm-hmm. I, I can't even imagine what you've gone through growing up with like you said, struggling to walk in the wind, sometimes struggling to walk upstairs. It really is inspirational. And I hope the people listening have seen that as well. One more question before we go, which you, I think you've probably answered. I think you went into it without me having to ask it. Um, but what's one piece of advice you'd give to someone facing a transplant? It's the one I ask every week. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and you know, as we sort of touched on that, you know, everyone's different. Um, it's probably sort of men- worth mentioning as well, just in terms of transplantation, something uh, as much as I say, you know, don't compare yourself to anybody else. Um, you know, try and have a good chat to people as well and try and get that bit of, you know, advice and, and talk to, to other transplant recipients. Um, I'm incredibly sort of grateful and, and lucky in some ways that I'm actually in touch with um, a lovely lady Jill, called Jill who um, received the lungs of the same donor oh, um, nice. at the same time. So we were in a strange situation where we didn't meet each other, but our families were chatting <laughs> because we were in, uh, obviously in hospital at the same time. Um, and, uh, and bit by bit, we kind of discovered that, that our donor is, is shared. So it's kind of been really comforting and really lovely to have that in the background and um, we've both written to our donors uh, to, to our donor um, family um, um, we haven't heard anything back necessarily and that that's fine everyone's completely different um, but we've kind of written at different stages of our lives as well um, so I think um, you know certainly my, my advice would be you know surround you, yourself by, with people that you know that can give you that 
advice and support but don't listen too closely to everyone else's stories you know your story is your own and it's it's really unique because of that absolutely and there we go Susie thank you so much for coming on the podcast I've very much enjoyed it and I've come away feeling so much better than I did before mentally I'm lifted and long may the podcast continue Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for having me and, and keep keep going with the hard work because it's it's lovely to, to share stories. Absolutely. And if you'd like to share your story, if you'd like to get in touch, uh, you can do so by email. You can email transplantstakeonsport at gmail.com or you can go to any of the social media pages, Instagram at transplantstakeonsportpod, Facebook at transplantstakeonsportpod and Twitter at TTOSpod. So if you've got a story to tell, please do let me know. I'll be able to read that. I can try and get people on. It was this is how Susie got on. <laughs> you got in touch and it was perfect time with the marathon just happening recently. Uh, so yeah, if you've got a story to tell, please do. If you'd like to suggest something you'd like to see on the social media pages, if you'd like Instagram lives, if you'd like me to, I don't know, film something while I'm out and about walking somewhere, anything like that, please do get in touch. I always enjoy hearing from people and I do see all the messages, all the comments. So thank you. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, that is the most listened to uh, app for you to listen to this on. Please make sure you, uh, if you're enjoying it, that you go and rate it five stars on there because that would be a massive amount to me and it really helps more people discover the podcast on there so you can spread the word around like that. And also, good old word of mouth. If you, if you are liking what you're hearing, please do share it with your friends, your family, people at the hospital. You might be there for clinic appointments in person now. I'm not, but some people, some hospitals may be doing that. If you feel like you want to, to contribute to the podcast financially, again, no pressure to do so. I've said this before, absolutely no pressure at all. There's a link at the bottom of the show notes, which is the ACAST supporter feature. And any donations there will go towards keeping the podcast going going forward, whether that be for recording subscriptions, microphone, some sort of equipment, anything helps. But again, don't feel under pressure. Once again, thank you to my guest today, Susie Wood. I've been Lewis Daniels, and you've been listening to Transplant's Take on Sport. 